All right, let's go to the much lighter topic of sex, money, and power. <laughs> and the great prostitute of Revelation 17. Woohoo! Another light subject. All right. Um, so there was a, a young pastor who I was really tied in with, and he and his wife were ministering to this young wife and mom. They had a couple of kids, and this young mom, sweet and dear, and was fighting for her marriage. Her husband had made some choices that were very, very hard, and uh, were creating tremendous uncertainty. It felt like it was leading towards uh, divorce, and this young pastor and his wife, they were, they were ministering to her, and uh, he said, Eric, could you meet with her? She needs your soapbox about shrewdness. I do have a few soapboxes. One of them is grace and truth. One of them is shrewdness. See, I, I consider it a real honor to meet with um, not only individuals, but oftentimes couples, and sometimes those are delightful meetings, especially if it's pre-marriage counseling and everybody's in love and ah. Oh. But oftentimes it's hard meetings with couples. And my role is to help them to fight for their marriage. Marriage was God's idea. It's his institution. He is for healthy and whole marriages. So we're called to support couples uh, uh, individuals in their singleness and couples in their marriage. That's part of our call. But sometimes there's a different role that I feel called to play in those difficult times when there's a harshness of reality and the person is a, a committed Christian as this young gal was and wanting to fight for our marriage, her marriage and yet, she needs a measure of what Jesus said of shrewdness in her marriage. That she needs to become wise to the situation. That she needs to have her eyes open in terms of to see motives behind the gestures, to to see sometimes the dishonesty behind the words shared and, and to let people, and in this instance her husband, reveal the decisions he, were ma he was making and, and the direction he was going. You see, uh, in this amazing words that, that Jesus shared, I'll read Matthew 10, 16, when Jesus was about to send his disciples into the world. He said this, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves to do ministry. Therefore, be as shrewd as a snake. Or actually, the, the King, New King James, serpents. Be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves 
that the, the dove, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and, and innocence in the context of the Christian faith, that makes tons of sense. But, but why in the world would Jesus use a serpent or a snake as a symbol and say, be shrewd like that? I mean, from the very beginning, Genesis, right? It was the snake that, that deceived even Adam, right? It was all through scripture. And then we just read a couple of weeks ago, remember the, the big red dragon, right? That was Satan who's at work in this world. The symbol of Satan and evil is a serpent or a snake. Why in the world would he use that symbol? I'm going to talk a little bit more specifically about the answer to that question, but Generally speaking, I think the answer is the same answer why the resurrected Christ keeps revealing symbols and pictures about the evil that is going to grow and manifest in end times. Trust me, I would love to be past the evil parts in the book of Revelation but it keeps on coming. <laughs> and I start asking the question, Lord, why does it keep, we, we've had all of this, why more? I'm convinced because of shrewdness. That he wants us to be a people that is not naive, that is not caught unaware to the evil in the world. That he wants us to be a people that are, is sober-minded, that's discerning, that is wise to the ways of evil. Not committing sin, not partaking in the sin, but is recognizing evil when it's present right before us, even in our marriage, even in our loved ones. That we would recognize evil and we would respond not with a, a naivety where we're taken advantage of, but we would respond with wisdom, even shrewdness of how we deal with evil. So as we read these next chapters of 17, please turn with me to Revelation 17 would you be mindful of why Jesus continues to reveal such a sobering symbol of the great prostitute? Did you know there was a great prostitute in Scripture? Did you know that there was a scarlet beast in Scripture? That's this chapter. Let's do a little bit recap of, uh, of the evil that we've been looking at. In chapter 11, we are introduced to the, the seven years of tribulation. Right? We've seen this believing from our perspective of revelation. We see that before us will be seven years of tribulation. And we saw that there will be a beast that comes from the abyss. Actually, that is Satan, the red dragon. And when there's two prophets that God raises up at end times, that the beast will come and finally kill them. That's chapter 11. 
Chapter 12, Satan will go after the Jewish people, but by the grace of God, God gives them a reprieve and a a measure of protection from Satan in the world, but then Satan turns his view on the church, on Christians. In chapter 13, we're introduced to what people have called the trinity of evil. You've got Satan, the beast from the abyss. You've got the beast of the sea, which is the Antichrist that's talked about by Paul and John and others. And then you've got the beast of the earth, which is the false prophet that that supports the Antichrist. The Antichrist comes and the false prophet comes as people, persons of peace and tolerance and blessing and deceives the world in following them and even creates a covenant of peace with the Jewish people that begins the seven-year tribulation. But then he's going to break it as we've talked about. And from that moment, we see chapter 17. 15 and 16 are, are bowls of wrath, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about them next week. I know you f- might think I'm putting the bowls of wrath off, but we're going to look back at the timeline again next week. But in chapter 17, John is given a fresh vision of evil. And I want you, as we read these first couple of verses together, would you take in and try and see what John saw? Revelation 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Can you see it in your mind's eye? that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who wore testimony, bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, 
because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. Do I need to unpack that, really? Are you good with that? We just move, keep moving on. Yowzers. That's a lot. What's going on? And, and what's happening? And again, what is behind? What's the intention? Again, the resurrection Jesus is giving this vision of John. And he's saying, John, write this down. For what benefit? Why would we do this? He doesn't want us to feel warm and fuzzies at this moment. He doesn't want a little tap on the shoulder and say, God loves you, you're good, move along. What's he doing? I'd say he's doing a, a couple of things, but one is this invitation. Again, look at verse nine, uh, verse 9, that he says, this calls for a mind of wisdom. He's, he's inviting us to be wise to evil. He's inviting us to have a shrewd wisdom about these circumstances. In fact, one of the parables that I love, it's one of the most challenging and potentially confusing parables of Jesus, is the parable of the dishonest manager. And he talks about how dishonest this manager is. And the master comes in and says, you know what, you've been ripping off, you're, doing, you're lazy, you're doing a, raw, a, a terrible job, I'm going to fire you. And that this ma dishonest man manager then goes to all the people the master owes money to. And he's like, how much do you owe? Oh, let's, let's reduce that. Right? Let's reduce that. We'll give you, just owe, owe that, yeah. So, uh, Kendra, what do you owe? Yeah, let's cut that in half and, and do that. Marilyn, what do you owe? We'll cut that in half. You think the master is going to be furious with the dishonest manager that he's losing money. And of course, as Jesus likes to do, he puts a twist on the parable. And he commends him. Not for his dishonesty. That's where it gets confusing. But listen to what the master commends the dishonest servant manager for. The master, this is Luke 16, 8, the master commended the dishonest ma manager because he had acted shrewdly. Isn't that interesting? For the people of this world, let, listen to Jesus' explanation. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. You all, if you're followers of Christ, are people of the light. And in essence, he's saying, this we might need to learn from the world. That you are going to deal with people that aren't just dishonest. You're going to deal with people that, that, that aren't just a little bit manipulative. You're going to deal with people that are really evil and want to take advantage of you. In fact, some people are going to be operating in the spirit of the Antichrist or the enemy, and they're going to want to kill and even destroy, steal, kill, and destroy from you and your children, and your loved ones, and your church. Don't let them do that. Jesus isn't saying, 
be dishonest. Remember, he said, be innocent as a dove. Don't sin, but be shrewd. If I go back to the young wife and mother that I was meeting, we we talked about the the pain and the struggle and how she still wanted to fight for her marriage. I said, I'll help you and support you fighting for your marriage. Anything I can do. I'll meet with him if if he would come in. Let's fight for it. And then I stepped on a soapbox, figuratively. And I said, but I want you to protect yourself. I want you to be shrewd. I get it. You love him. You still do. And yet it hurts. But would you protect yourself? Be shrewd. I get there. I've been there. Now can we apply that to the world in general? So let's get wise in terms of who in the world is the great prostitute and who is the scarlet beast in this. Of course, with Revelation, there's disagreement on every character in the book, period. All right? So I'm going to give you my best understanding. The scarlet beast, it's pretty universal. If you look back at the description of the Antichrist or the beast from the sea, there's a lot of crossover between the scarlet beast. It's believed to be the Antichrist, but just seen, it's a scarlet beast that the great prostitute is riding upon. So the scarlet beast, I believe, is the Antichrist. The great prostitute is godless society. It is the societies and the cities and the communities and the families that are pursuing life outside of their creator. That they're sinning, and what the enemy, what the and the did you notice the great prostitute is riding the scarlet beast, right? She's on it, and so the society around the world is going. You know what? He's a man of peace. Let's follow him. And by the way, you notice some of the the um, I mean the the language of sin. That's described. So there's a beauty to her. She's clothed in, in scarlet and gold, and she has, got, but the cup that she has of gold is filled with abominable things, adulteries. So there's sin that's happening. You could say uh, sex, money, and power. So the Antichrist is saying, yeah, peace and tolerance. Some think he's going to establish a religious system that is more universal and say, hey, there is no real one way. Can we just all get along? Can we let people believe whatever we want to do? And let's let people pursue any pleasure that they want. And as end times comes, as we get closer, the sin and the pleasure-seeking and the sex, money, and power 
in an unrighteous way, way pursued outside of Christ is going to increase. And then the great prostitute, our civilization, is going to revel in their pleasures, riding the Antichrist going, woohoo! But there's one people group that the unrighteous civilization is not going to be happy with. That people group that says, hey, uh, that, that's bad stuff. You shouldn't be partaking. Hey, that God, life is meant to be lived with the creator. You know who those folks are? Look at your neighbor. It should be you. It should be the Christians. It should be the people that are giving testimony to Jesus Christ and saying, hey, it's not right. We'll talk more about that in, in just a moment, but what I want you to see is, is, would you think about those big three for just a moment? Sex, money, and power. And in fact, I would it's not really in the text, but I would add a fourth biggie, and that is drugs. Sex, money, drugs, uh, sex, money, power, and drugs. Let's add a fifth, rock and roll. No, I like rock and roll. So we're not going to, we'll keep rock and roll out of there. All right. But would you think about this? All four of them, are they inherently bad? If drugs alleviate pain, drugs for childbirth, are any of them inherently bad? Could they be given, they are given by God for good and righteous ways, right? Sex, of course. Did you know sex was God's idea? Hallelujah, yes, yeah, right? Money, when you say money, Paul says money is, in, uh, is the root of all sorts of evil, but doesn't say money is evil. Did you know he's calling us to be generous? And stewards of money, he's calling us to live sexually as people in a way that honors him. He says, can we talk about sexual identity, sexual attraction, sexual practice? I'm going to give you, I've given this to you as a people. It's part of flourishing as Christians, but I'm going to put boundaries around it. The evil society, the evil prostitute says, boundaries? No. Uh-uh, really? That can't be right. You're restricting sex? Uh-uh. Right? Do that with all the others. Even power. Someone would say, oh man, power is that. Did you know that we're called ultimately to co-reign with Christ on this earth? That we are called to be a people who leverages power with humility in such a way that honors Christ Jesus. Sex, money, power, and even drugs, I would say, right? That we're to use drugs in a responsible way to alleviate pain and so forth. Let's leave rock and roll off the table, all right? 
But you could argue music is something given by God. But again, boundaries. We can overstep that, right? And so I want you to see, friends, that all of these big issues can be God-given. That he's calling us to be wise about these things. Sex, money, power, drugs, right? To be wise, but to be shrewd. How they can, they can be like a poison. Any one of them can be like a poison in your life. And if you're not wise, if you're not shrewd, they can take root and lead to addiction and blow up your life. Any one of them can blow up your life. And what this chapter is about is that Satan, through the Antichrist and through the false prophet, is taking these and he's blowing up the lives of the world and saying, isn't it good? I know you're a Christian, but just come on, look at how awesome this is. We get to ride the scarlet beast, woohoo, with a cup full of all sorts of fun. Friend, it's not just about seeing the world move in that direction and end times. It's about recognizing the sin and temptation in our life now. Of thinking biblically, not just about politics, but about sex, money, power, drugs. Or you can add to the list if you'd like. Okay. Uh, Seven-year tribulation. Again, many people would see that he comes, the Antichrist comes as a man of peace, of tolerance, of freedom, of adulteries, all sorts of things, and the earth is celebrating, and they're riding high. They're persecuting Christians, but they're riding high. And then what's so interesting is that Revelation tells us there's a turning point. At some point, the beast that's being ridden, the the scarlet beast, hates the prostitute and turns on the prostitute. The Antichrist turns on his own people. We're going to skip, we're going to Come back to a few of these passages next week in chapter 17. But look at verse 15. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are the peoples, the multitudes, the nations, and the languages. So this great prostitute, all the, the, the sin that's increasing is worldwide, is, is around all the nations, all the peoples. The, the enemy, the Antichrist, is really deceiving the world. Verse 16, the beast and the ten horns, those will be probably military power, and ten leaders could represent all of the leaders of the the world, but the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. Wait a second. The prostitute's riding the scarlet beast. Now all of a sudden, the beast hates the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Yikes. For God has put into their hearts 
to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast, the Antichrist, their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. All of a sudden, many people believe it's halfway through the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist deceived the world and saying, peace, tolerance. And then he says, you worship me. You take my mark on you or you won't be able to participate in the world's economy. Now it's about me. Now you bend the knee to me or you die. That's called the great, then the, the great tribulation, which Jesus talks about in Matthew and is also talked about uh, in uh, Revelation, begins. And we begin to, to struggle with that because now the, the beast happens to be the final king, the Antichrist, and he rules religiously, he rules economically. He rules the world in all ways. And that's when we're going to have to make a tough decision when there's no advantage in, in claiming Christ. And then it, it, it turns subtly to the great prostitute as seen as a city, a particular city, the great city of Babylon. Let me just read a few verses in chapter 18. Chapter 18, uh, verse 1. After this, I hope I didn't get ahead of myself. All right. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He, did, he had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Can you imagine that? With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen! Fallen! Is Babylon the great, remember the prostitute now viewing this in all of society. So this is judgment on the ungodly society. So really God is judging ungodly society in two ways. One is with the turning of the Antichrist and forcing and burning down ungodly uh, societies. Now... It's the judgment of God that falls upon the city of Babylon or the ungodly societies. Um, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean de uh, detestable animal for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her ex uh, excesses and luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her my people so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered 
her crimes. Okay, now God's judgment first in the form of the Antichrist and evil fighting against evil and then he judges them to argue with the seven bowls, but we'll talk about that next week. But let's push into application at this point. Again, verse 4, he is really, that's a quoting of Jeremiah 51, 45. He says, come out of her, my people. At that end times is to say, listen, now the judgment of God, his wrath is being poured out Come out of this ungodly society. You do not want to be a part of the wrath and the judgment of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, be careful. You know that all debauchery will be judged. All sin will be judged when people have lived sex, money, power, drugs outside of my, the way I've said you can flourish. Don't be deceived, church. Separate yourself from that sin and that ungodly society. There is a, a classic Christian principle that I think is really important for us to reflect on, especially right now. It's, it's that we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. You've heard that? Most of you have heard that? In the world, but not of the world. That comes from Jesus' famous high priestly prayer, as well as other places. But John 17 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of this world. This is John 17, uh, 15 through 17. should have that in the, the bulletin. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What God is saying is that I want to leave my people in the world. I want to leave my wheat in the midst of the weeds. I want them to have the testimony of who I am, of my love for them, of the availability of forgiveness and newness of life in God, even to the very last moment. That is our time that we would carry on. I believe the church is still present in the world during the tribulation because God is saying, that's the time I want you to shine. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, the persecution is real for you, but I want to, you to share the love, my mercy and forgiveness. That the church is meant to shine in that moment. Protect them, God. I'll seal them. I'll watch over them. I'll keep them sanctified. But there is a time when he will say, all right, now out from them because I'm unleashing my wrath and my judgment on them at the end of the tribulation. We'll, we'll talk about that again next week. Now, I believe today that we're meant to be in the world, but not of the world. But sometimes God is calling us to step out and to separate us. Maybe from a relationship, 
maybe from a community of faith, maybe from a workplace, that to use discernment, that we're called to have an influence, a Christian influence, a Christ-centered influence in that workplace, in that relationship. But if that, if that unchrist-like ways are influencing us more, it might be time to step away. That I would say, don't be influenced by the world, but be an influencer. But if you're recognizing that you're being influenced more by the godless society, then maybe you need to separate today, again, in anticipation. Friends, uh, in 2012, I, I went to our former denomination's general synod meeting, 2012. And I was so dismayed by the political nature of the general synod. I was so dismayed by the divisiveness. I said, God, can I please step out? And I prayed. I even contacted another denomination. I said, can we step out? And I felt like the Lord was saying, stay, stay. Do your best to make a difference. And I whined a little bit, God, I don't want to weigh in on these issues. I just, I just want to share your gospel. And so he said, no, I'm calling you to stay. In fact, then I became the president of the classes, which was, I had to wade in more wrote some overtures. Many of you know the longer story. But right in the midst of trying to, me trying to obey God, I was praying with some other leaders, not part of this church, not part of, of uh, uh, the, the denomination. And they quoted Jeremiah 51, 45 to me. Come out from among them. And I realized that there might be a day that Christ moves from stay engaged, seek to be a leader, to now I'm calling you out. I believe as a church, we did the right thing. Now I still pray for the RCA. I pray that they would stay committed to the authority of God's word. I pray that they would write the lack of integrity between their stated beliefs and, and um, their practices. So friends, again, use that discernment in terms of sex, money, power, and drugs. In terms of sex, are you having a greater influence of the people around you? Or are you being influenced? That's really hard. And ask that question, money, power, drugs. Are you modeling, using those in a way that honors Christ and therefore stay where you are? Or are you being overly influenced? Okay, just a, a few from the chapter 18. Would you look at verse 9 with me? 
when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her, the great prostitute, and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning. So now we're getting a picture of a, a burning city. Many people believe it could be in ancient Babylon rebuilt. They will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. Jump over to verse 17 uh, with me. In one hour, a short time, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain, all who traveled by ship, and the sailors, all who earn the living from the sea, will, will, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their foreheads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to the great city where all those who, uh, uh, all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. And then this picture of the earth moves to heaven. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God has judged the, her with the judgment she imposed on you. All right. God's wrath and judgment can be very jarring. And go, yikes. A God of love. And then I would say even when heaven rejoices in the judgment, as we just read in verses 20, it can also be jarring. Now we're going to talk about the, the great city. We're going to talk about this judgment and what this potentially could look like. As some of you said, Eric, I'm not quite following. And I said, just keep focused on the application. If it keeps coming, just... I believe it will come, it will unfold, but keep focusing on, on the application. So here's the application. This is an invitation to pray and to live for justice. To pray and to live for justice. Some of you will recall in chapter 6 when the sixth, uh, sixth uh, seal, the fifth seal was opened up, there were saints, martyrs that were under the altar and they were crying out to God. Do you remember what they're crying out for? Justice. They were crying out and this judgment, the wrath of God, this harshness, if you will, is not about um, hatred is not about just death and destruction because God's having a bad day. This is ultimately about justice, and that makes all the difference in the world. Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evil doers. God would not be a God of justice if he brought heaven to earth, but not, did not deal with the wrongs of our world. If he did not make right all that was wrong. If he did not right the injustices in the world, he would not be a God of justice. So as you read all the, the death 
and the destruction, would you put that over justice? And here's the principle to live by. Don't live in bitterness. Don't live in hatred. Don't live in resentment. Don't live in retaliation or even vengeance. Don't go Bruce Willis, right, and go vengeance on everybody. God said, no, no, no. I'm the one that will bring justice. Vengeance is mine. But be a people of justice. Friends, I'll just say this. I have had people in my life that have hurt and wounded me deeply and profoundly. And I had to make a decision. Would I live in unforgiveness and refuse to forgive those who hurt me so badly, who made claims against me? Would I seek to live in vengeance and bitterness, just harbor that bitterness in me? Friends, just like sex, money, and power, if you handle that wrong, if you steward those wrong, it becomes a poison in your life and it blows you up. The same is true of bitterness, unforgiveness, and vengeance. It will be a bitterness in your life and it will invade every aspect of your life. Friends, I made the decision to live in forgiveness, in trust that God will bring truth, in trust that God will bring justice, in trust that his justice and mercy and forgiveness will be brought together in such a way that I could never do in my own strength or power. And he will make right the wrong that I've experienced. So friends, this is also an invitation to rejoice and to live not in death and destruction, but in justice. In the in the love and mercy of God, and yet at the same time, he makes all things new and right. All right, would you pray with me? I'm going to invite the worship team forward, and would you, again, just between you and the Lord, would you think about the three invitations that are here, the, the application that he's inviting you to, to focus in on. So, Father, would you come? Lord, you're inviting us to be wise to evil, even shrewd, to be astute and discerning and sober-minded. Maybe there's a circumstance in your life that you've, you've been somewhat naive and you need to seek the shrewdness of God 
or that particular circumstance, just take that circumstance and, and lay that before the Lord. Maybe some of you thinking about sex, money, power, drugs, you've been more influenced than being an influencer. And God is just calling you to step away. He's saying, come out from that circumstance. Remove yourself from that situation or that relationship that is caused, it's a stumbling block in your life. Or perhaps he's saying, that situation is hard, but you're being an influence. You're making a difference. You're the only Christian in that workplace. Stay there. Hold on. Engage. Speak the truth in love. Share the kindness of God. Or maybe some of us are wrestling with bitterness and resentment of the wounds that we've received. He's saying, would you choose the way of forgiveness? Would you choose my justice and mercy? Take a moment and pray that out. Can we stand together? give the, the benediction and, and then uh, Natalie and team are going to do one worship song. You can hang out and, and do that one song if you'd like. You can go in the atrium and connect. If you want to receive prayer um, would you just come forward and receive some prayer? Some of you want to do that. If the prayer team could just come over here and be available or just greet one another Bless one another, love one another in the atrium, and get your kids, okay? Would you go? Would you be shrewd as snakes and innocent as a dove? Would you go being a people of light that in your shrewdness you would be an influencer in the people around you? Would you go not as a people of bitterness and unforgiveness, but as a people of mercy and forgiveness, speaking the truth in love? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.